0: Gabe, and good morning, New Hope. Good to see you. Good to be together this beautiful September morning. Also, all of you watching online, so glad that you're with us as well. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a special time in the life of the church as we are launching all kinds of new ministries. I also this morning want to give a shout out to Pastor Tom, who's not on campus this morning, who may be watching online at a Des Moines airport, but he is leaving this morning for Ethiopia, one of our own pastors. He's going to be over there for two weeks serving there, uh, doing Bible teaching for Uh, the locals there in Ethiopia and church leaders and and denominational leaders and all of that. And so uh, would you be praying for him, please, as he's there and serving and uh, just a beautiful uh, ministry that he has in addition to what he does here at New Hope Church. So uh, Tom, if you are listening, as you're waiting for your plane, we love you and we're with you and we're praying for you uh, on your trip that you're taking starting today. All right, hey, today we are beginning a brand new sermon series, so grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. Use your table of contents if you need to, or a digital version, of course, makes it easy there. And uh, today we're starting this series, walking through this new uh, book, for us at least, to go through. And what we're really after is we want to learn more about Jesus so that we can live more like Jesus. Now, just to give you a moment, just to kind of lay out what our game plan is, the book of Mark is, is sort of laid out like a, um, like a football game. My condolences to the Hawkeye fans, by the way, in the room. But nonetheless, it's like a football game. So you have a first half, you have a halftime, and a second half. So chapters 1 through 8, which we're starting today, is our first half. And in this series, we're calling The Servant, as you see there. And The Servant, these first eight chapters, we're going to be learning about Jesus as a, in ministry. He's, he's serving. He's doing. We see him in action constantly. It's going to be a very quick-paced, exciting uh, journey through the first eight chapters. What that's going to do is take us up to the Christmas season, which we'll call a halftime. At that point, we'll spend some time, of course, at Christmas and the New Year and all of that. And then in early 2023, we're going to come back to Mark, a new series called The Sacrifice. That'll be the second half. That'll be starting chapters nine through sixteen. You'll get a new devotional. You'll get—I mean, it's a a new series, but it's a continuation. And in the Sacrifice, we're going to be looking at the last seven days of Jesus's life, and that's going to take us all the way up to Easter. So this is a book that you're going to be very familiar with when we're all said and done, uh, going through this study of this book. So I, I hope. you're excited. In addition, if you didn't get one yet, I want to call your attention to this, whether you're on campus or online, but this sermon series comes with a devotional guide that we've created for you. If you're watching online, you can download it, and there'll be a link provided for you. It's on the website as well. You can download your own copy of this anytime you want, but we've also provided copies for you. So again, if you didn't get one yet on your way out, make sure you grab one. They're just outside the doors in the lobby. But this devotional is very important because it's meant to um, correspond with what we do here on Sunday mornings. And what I mean by that is this. Today, we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 13. But when you come back next week, we're not picking up verse 14. That's what this is for. You'll pick up verse 14. So during the week, you're going to make your way through some verses, and then that'll stop here. And then when you come back next Sunday, we'll pick up the next verse, and we'll make our way through. Here's why we're doing this. It is really important to me that while I love that we come together on Sunday mornings, I'm so thankful you're here and watching online, this is not enough. You and I, all of us, need to be in the Word on our own during the week. And so what I'm really trying to do is encourage quiet times for you. That during the week, at some point, grab a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, grab your devotional guide, and spend your own time in the Word, your own reflections, responding to questions, and interacting with the passage in the Scripture. This is what I want for you. So, so you, we have time here. You have time at home during the week. And, of course, if you're in a small group, you bring this with you to a small group, and you guys will be talking through this stuff in addition to the sermon. So that's how it's laid out. That's what we're doing. Make sure you grab one of those devotional guides. Hopefully you're now in Mark chapter 1. Are you guys excited to get started? All right, let's do it. I am too. Okay, first a little background. Mark is probably the oldest of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Mark was probably the first one written. Now it's named, by, named Mark, and Mark was the writer of this book, but Mark is more like a secretary, if you will, or he was for Peter. So in many respects, this book, though titled Mark, written by Mark, this is really Peter's eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. So we're, we're, we're learning about Jesus through his eyes and through his experiences. In fact, what you'll notice is very interesting is there's hardly anything that happens in this book that Peter's not on site. That he's not there watching it with his own eyes and seeing what happens. So really, in many ways, this is Peter's account. Now, what you're going to see here and what we're all going to enjoy, I suppose, is the writing style. It's very simple. It's very abrupt. It's a very quick book. Peter keeps it moving. He's on to one topic. He jumps to the next one. He jumps to the next one uh, in terms of his style there. The other thing that's interesting about this is that we see Jesus in action. There's actually very little, relative to the other gospels, very little teaching of Jesus from Jesus in this book. Now, he does on occasion, But not very often. We're going to again see Jesus in action, serving, loving, healing with the people. And so we're going to see that side of him. Now our text for today, as I mentioned, Mark chapter 1, we're going to go verses 1 through 13. These verses serve as an introduction both to the book of Mark, but also an introduction to Jesus. Now early on in ministry, somebody taught me, and I learned the art of the introduction, In other words, when you go to introduce somebody, you want to do at least two things. First of all, you want to tell them who the person is, and second, why you should listen to them. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to introduce Jesus, and I hope you do, what would you say? How would you introduce him to the person or to the crowd or whoever it is? We're going to see how Mark is going to answer this question today, and we're going to learn some important things about who Jesus is. Look with me at verse 1. We're going to see his intro, uh, Mark's intro uh, here, starting in verse 1, of course. It says this, In the beginning of the good news, excuse me, the beginning of the good news, now that's the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, that's for Jesus, make straight paths for him. Now, Mark at the beginning, he pulls from two Old Testament prophecies, he puts them into this passage here. But what he's doing is he's telling us this book is all about Jesus. This book is all about Jesus. And what I love about this is he highlights that Jesus is a person. But he's also very, very unique. I've highlighted and read some key words that if you have your Bible, you can circle or underline here. Because right away he tells us that this Jesus is is human. He's a person like us, but he is also very different. He is Messiah or Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord Almighty. In other words, there is no one like Jesus. Nobody compares to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is who is God who took on flesh. Jesus is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the one who sustains all things. He is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one who is all-knowing. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Who... Stepped out of heaven, came and humbled himself, taking on flesh, being like us, living a, a, a life that we, is similar to us, and ultimately going to a cross and slaughtered on that cross so that he could destroy sin and death without destroying us. This is who Jesus is. He is, there is no one like Jesus. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we serve. He's the reason this church exists. He is our mission, helping people find and follow Jesus. We say that every Sunday. Everything that we do, and I hope hope on a personal level for you, everything about your life centers around who Jesus is. There is no one like him. There will never be anyone like him. He is a person in every respect as we are, and yet he is completely, completely different. Jesus is the one that we're going to get to know and spend a lot of time getting to know over the next several weeks, and for that, I'm very excited. So here's here's the thing. Mark next is going to, after verses 1 through 3, he's going to share with us, and what we're going to do today, two events. These are the first two events of Jesus' ministry. Now, you might find these very unique in terms of events. In other words, why would Jesus start his ministry this way? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these two events uh, together, and it's going to both help us understand who Jesus is and why we should listen to him. And I think what might happen today, and part of my hope and prayer this past week has been that it it would clarify or clean up any misunderstandings that we might have about Jesus, but in addition to that, that it would deepen our love and admiration for him. So hopefully you have your bulletin ready to go, some fill-in-the-blanks and some passages. Here is our first event that we're going to look at. Join me in verse 4. It says, And so John the Baptist, he appeared in the wilderness. By the way, there's a timestamp stamp that other gospels help us with. This is about the year AD 29, something like that. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of, Of sins. Now I want to pause here real quick because this can be a little confusing. I want to clarify this just for our purposes here. The Jewish leaders of this time, they did do baptisms. It was only done by the priests, it was only done in the temple, and it was only done for like ceremonial purification types of things. That's why they would do baptisms. But then you have this guy, John, who shows up and he starts baptizing people. But he's not a priest, he's not a temple. And he's doing something entirely new and different. He's, he's baptizing, as we saw here, for repentance and forgiveness of, of sins. Now, this would have gotten the lead, religious leaders' people's attention. What is this guy doing? Who is this guy? What is going on here? And, of course, they went out to check it out. But this was entirely different. So what is John up to? What he's doing is he's preparing people for the coming of Jesus. In other words, what he is doing is he's helping them see their need to be saved, so that when the Savior comes, they're ready. He's highlighting the, the bad news about our sin so that when Jesus comes, the good news about him will be readily received. He's preparing people's hearts by focusing on and highlighting the need that people have. For Jesus. And of course, that need hasn't changed. Here's your first fill in the blank. And this is so foundational to just Christianity in general. It's this idea that sin is our biggest problem. Make no mistakes. It's not, our, it's not government, it's not econo- economy, it's, not, it's sin. Sin is our biggest problem, and Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer. And by sin, what I mean by that is this disobedience to God. It's all the ways that we, we turn our backs to him and we, we violate his commands. And the Bible is very clear that we are sinners in nature, I meaning this is just part of who we are and what we've inherited as we were born into this world. And we're also sinners by our actions and our words, by what we do and what we say and what we think. This becomes a cancer in us. The sin is our biggest problem, but because of Jesus There is forgiveness. Because of Jesus, grace is extended. This is why he came. But here's the key. The way that the Lord wants us to respond to the sin that dogs our lives is what's called repentance. And this is a word that maybe you don't hear a lot in churches anymore, and that's unfortunate. But repentance is so, so important. Repentance, what it literally means is to make a U-turn, It's a change of mind and change of heart that translates into a change of action. And this is what the Lord wants from us when it comes to our sins. He wants us to do this. Now, there's three different parts to repentance. It begins with conviction. And what I mean by conviction is it begins where you and I come to a place where we recognize what it is that we're doing dishonors God. We come to a place where we recognize that I am struggling with sin and I I hate this part of my life. We feel conviction, guilt, for the things that we've done. And upon that conviction, then we make a second step, and that is confession. And we come before God and we say, God, this area of my life needs to die. This sin dishonors you, and this is what I don't want to keep doing this. So conviction, confession, and then third is repentance. And repentance, I just said, was that U-turn idea. And here's practically, it's so simple, but here's how it works. It means that you're going in one direction. And all of us know what this is like, by the way. But all of us, at one point or another, we're going in a direction and we're walking towards sin. But here's the principle. Every time we walk towards, we face sin and we go in this direction, our back is to Jesus. That's how that works. The two cannot coexist. And so, so I'm walking towards sin. My back is to Jesus. But I have that conviction, that confession to him that this is not how I want to live. And I make a change. And now I put my back to sin and I face Jesus and I begin to walk in newness and, uh, and repentance with him. That's what repentance looks like. And this is what John was setting up for people, and this is what he's calling us to. It's not a one-time act. Repentance is a daily part of living as a Christian that we constantly practice this. Now, to make sure that I'm very clear this morning, let me tell you what repentance is not. Repentance is not mere confession. It's not acknowledging when you've done something wrong or even just, you know, I, I did this and then, and then, but nothing changes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Some of you, you've, you've known it's like to relate with that kind of person. They keep saying sorry, but they keep doing it. After a while, you're like, this isn't what we're talking about. See, re- re- repentance is different, repentance is changing. It's not just confessing. Repentance is also not just feeling bad about your sin, we should feel bad. About our sin, but it's more than that. And in, in addition, repentance is not when we make excuses. You ever done this or interacted with somebody else who does this? Um, you, you know, it's not my fault. It's just my, it's just my genetics. I'm sorry I got mad at you, but I'm Italian. Like, this is who we are. This is what we do. Or I don't know. I have allergies. You know, blame that. Or, or, or how about this one? It's my personality type. Well, I'm an I know, I-N-T-J and, or I'm an E-N-F-P, but everybody else is like, no, you're a J-E-R-K. Like, this is who you are. Like, this is how you're behaving. And so sometimes we do this, right? We make these excuses that become this roadblock to actually owning it, confessing it, and repenting and making a change. But this is what the Lord has for us. Conviction, confession, change, and something that we're to practice We're to practice every single day. None of us are immune or above this. We need this. For some of us, we have been setting our our eyes locked on, our patterns, our habits on sin. Our back is to Jesus. But today's the day to make a change. Today's the day to make the U-turn. And so we see the crowds, they came to John. They were were baptized because it was communicating they need a Savior. John's baptism didn't fix anything. It didn't solve their their sin problem. It just highlighted their need. And by the way, today we don't don't do John's baptism. We don't do this anymore because we have Jesus. And so it was a special thing for a special time. Let's keep going in verse 5 as we learn more about this scene. It says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to, to him, to John, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up, out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is an incredible scene, an incredible moment. And this is how Jesus chose to start his, his ministry. He didn't come to be baptized because he had sinned to confess. He never sinned. But he did it to identify with humanity. He did it to fulfill scripture and all righteousness. He goes to John, in this first act is this scene of being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then we see this incredible scene, this unique moment where the Trinity shows up. You have God the Father who speaks words of affirmation and love over his Son, You have the Holy Spirit who who comes down upon Jesus like a dove, and and this is empowering him for ministry. The same Holy Spirit, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus that is in you, it's the same Holy Spirit. This is an incredible scene. And here's your next fill in the blank because this is why this scene is so important. It's this idea. This scene is a public demonstration of Jesus' divinity. This is is a public scene of Jesus' divinity it highlights Jesus is God Jesus is eternal Jesus is part of the trinity Jesus is the son of God who took on flesh there is no one like Jesus that's the first scene that's the first event let's go on now to the second one we'll pick up in verse 12 it says that once the spirit sent him And that word, by the way, in the Greek literally means to thrust him. I mean, like to boom, kick him out. I mean, he's, the Holy Spirit is drawing him forcefully out into, it continues on, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Now this scene here, Mark, and I kind of warned you about this, he's very brief about it. In fact, to read more details about this scene, this 40 days of temptation, I would encourage you to go to Matthew chapter four, this week, verses one through 11. Just read through that account because you get all the details of what's going on here that Mark is very brief about. But notice here that the same Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove at the baptism, this wonderful scene now sends him out into the wilderness, which seems like a random detour, but it's not. It's something very important that's going on here. And this can happen in our lives too. We love the leadership of God over our lives when wonderful things happen and nice moments take place and pleasurable experiences are happening. But the Holy Spirit, the same one, sometimes will lead us and allow us to go through seasons of challenge and trial. And this is where Jesus is sent. He's sent into the desert to be be tempted. Now, I want us to notice a second thing as well. I want you to notice that Mark treats the evil one, treats Satan as very, very real. Not a myth. It is very clear that there is an actual enemy here doing the tempting. And I want to take a moment because this isn't just about something that happened to Jesus. This is about something that happens today in your life and in my life. Because temptation the, the, and how Satan works, in many ways, it's like, it's like bait uh, on a hook. It's like bait on a hook. And, and, and the idea that Satan comes and he aims to tempt you, to draw you, and encourage you to take a bite. But here's the thing about him, and I've got a fishing box up here, is that, is that Satan doesn't use the same bait for me as he does for you, as he does for the person over there. I mean even in here we've got we've got the power worm that's interesting and then the power teaser and on it goes this thing is filled with different types of baits here for fishing to get different kind of fish and what's going to get you may not get me and vice versa and so he brings this custom bait maybe for you it's food or it's sex or it's pursuit of pleasure achievement money that girlfriend that boyfriend that, that, that situation, comfort, I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but, but the, the evil one will find that bait that works just for you. And the thing about him, he never tempts you with the hook. He tempts you, of course, with the bait. But with Satan, there's always a hook underneath, every single time. And so he dabbles the bait in front of you, and, and for you, and hoping that you'll bite, that you'll just take that little nibble. But here's the thing about him, too. We should not be unaware of his schemes, because here's what happens next. When you take that first bite— he doesn't set the hook. No, he lets out the line. Here's why. You take the bite, you think, I sinned? That was kind of fun. Nothing bad happened. So you dig in more, you take another bite. You dig in harder, you take another bite. You just keep biting and biting and biting because you begin to, be able to believe the lie that you're the one exception, you're the one person that can sin and get away with it that it's never going to come back to get you. And so we keep chomping and chomping and chomping and biting. And then when he's just, I've got you, he just sets that hook and reels you in. You may say, well, where does he reel you into? Death. Death of your marriage. Death of your relationships. Death of your walk with God. Death of your ministry. Death of your witness? I mean, this is what he's about every time, and this is where he will take you every time. This is who he is. Again, with Satan, he, he will pick that bait, and he will entice you with that bait. But with him, there's always the hook. Every single time. So how are you being tempted? What's the bait that's being dangled in front of you? Or maybe where have you been nibbling or chomping? What is that thing for you? What is that for you that is happening here? Jesus, in this scene, he had the exact same experience. Now back to your fill in the blank. Your next one is this. This scene in the wilderness is important because this scene is now a private. It's just him. Demonstration of Jesus' humanity. See, Jesus knows what it's like to have bait dangled in front of his eyes. He knows what it's like to, to experience that, that type of situation. And yet he experienced it even more than we do because we fall, we just bite and then the temptation's over. But he stood, he never bit. He, 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 never, he never succumbed to it. He, he never sinned, but he knows what this is like. See, Jesus is a person, and he experiences these, these types of things just like we do. He, he knows what temptation is. He knows what fatigue is. He knows what discouragement is. He knows what joy is. He knows, he knows all these things because he lived a life just like you and I live. See, here's the thing, and here's what makes Jesus so utterly unique. We're going to get kind of deep theologically just for a moment. Jesus is one person, but he has two natures. He has a human nature and a divine nature. We're one person with one nature. We have a human nature. He is completely and utterly unique in this way. There is no one like Jesus. He is fully God and at the same time fully human. This is why we should listen to him because there's no one like Jesus. So as we close, what, what does this mean? I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you with some action steps this morning for, for all of us. Here's the first one. I want to ask you again, where are you experiencing temptation? And where do you keep biting that bait that's put in front of you? I want you to remember that you have a real enemy, and he is, he is at work, and he will not give up. He is looking to hit you. Now that word hit I use intentionally because that's an acronym. I want you to remember this. H-I-T. Because you are especially vulnerable when you are, and this might sound weird, but it's a thing, hungry, isolated, tired. That's where he went after Jesus. Read Matthew 4. Walk through every, each of those three temptations. That's where he hit him. And you watch, just watch yourself when you're in those places, hungry, isolated, tired. You're in in a danger position there as he's looking to take you out, as he's looking to destroy you, as he's looking for you to to bite the the bait that he puts in front of you. But please remember, I already mentioned this, but it's worth saying twice, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus that allowed him, that enabled him to say no to the bait. For those who have trusted in Jesus, is the same Holy Spirit in you. You have all that you need to resist temptation. You don't have to sin. The other thing I want to mention about this is that this book right here, this is your counterpunch. You need this. We all need this. That when temptation comes, when the evil one is is attacking and coming after you, you need need to know truth. And you need to be in the word. See, when you're in the word, what happens is, is that you learn something very important And that is foundationally, it's really not about what's been done to you or what's been done by you. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And that's what you have to come back to and I have to come back to as we resist the enemy and we stand firm and we say, no, I am not biting this bait that comes my way. I am not going to fall for this. In him, you are forgiven, adopted, loved, pursued, You are a part of his family, and he loves you so, so much. And here's why this is so important, is because I love this about the Lord. Escape from temptation is always possible. Always possible. In other words, every time Satan dangles bait in front of you, the Lord provides a door beside you, a door of escape. Every single time. And so you and I have a decision to make every single time. The bait or the door, what am I going to do? Which one is it going to be? In fact, here's my challenge for all of us this morning on this point. I want to encourage you to memorize this verse and just write down the address, if you will. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Memorize it. Get it on the hard drive of your mind and your heart. Put it in the mirror in your bathroom or wherever you're going to see it. This is something so important. No temptation, it says, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is so faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, here's the promise, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The door is always there. It's always there. I want to challenge you. Memorize this verse. Do some reflection this week. What's the bait? Spot it. Name it. Call it out. And are you biting it? And if you are, it's time to repent. Which is the second challenge I want to give to you, and that is simply this. What do do you need to repent of? Is there anything going on in your heart, in your life, in your behavior today where it's time to say, enough, enough? Where it's time, you to get some time before God, or we're going to have people up here to pray with you after the service, and you can do it there with them, and they'll help you through this. Where it's time to say, I am, I am convicted. I mean, the Lord is speaking to me about whatever this thing is, and Lord, I bring it to you in confession, and now I'm going to make some changes. And here's the thing about repentance and change. It's not enough, as we just talked about, just to be like, oh, well, I just want to change. How are you going to change? What are you going to need to do? Some of you, you need to throw out the bottles. Some of you, you need to trade in your smartphone for a dumb phone or put the computer in the living room where everybody can see it. Some of you, you need to cancel a subscription. You need to find an accountability partner. You need to actually take a step, a step to, to, to help you make this change. I'm begging you to do that. And so that's the second challenge. My challenge is to get time with the Lord and be honest with him and repent where you need to repent. And then my third and final challenge uh, for you and for all of us today to come full circle, please grab one of these. If you're watching online, download one of these. Get started this week. Grab that coffee, grab that Bible, or whatever, tea. Grab that Bible, grab a pen, and enjoy time with him. This is your counterpunch. We need this. And I can't wait to see how God is going to work in your life over the next several weeks as we journey through this incredible book and we learn more about Jesus so that we can live more like Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come up as they get, as they get settled. Um, I just want to pray for us. Uh, pray for the rest of, of uh, our time in this series together, but also our morning together. And uh, again, as they're getting settled too, i just mention for those of us on campus, uh, we do have the, the Women's Ministry Gala table is in the lobby there. And so if you're all interested in that event, go check that out or learn more about Women's Ministry. We also have the Expanding Hope table out in the lobby. And so if you'd like to learn more about that project, you can go check that out. We also have the stakes available too. So if you're a stakeholder, you can grab one of those and fill it out and bring it back at your convenience. Can I just pray for you? Pray for all of us again, whether you're off campus or on. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for this passage and this incredible introduction. And we thank you for the reminder this morning that there is no one like Jesus. And Father, this morning, we we acknowledge who Jesus is, fully God, fully human, and fully worthy of our worship. And so, Father, I pray for my friends, again, whether they're off campus or somewhere else or here in Adel and on campus. I pray that this week as they get time in this devotional, get time in your word, that you would speak to them and encourage their hearts. I pray that we would not be the same people when we finish this series as we are this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.